All right. Thanks for um, thanks for coming again tonight. And uh, we are in our second session, and actually we're going to do two sessions tonight, session two and three, on this um, building faith for families. And for those of you who weren't here last week, or, or for those of you who you know kind of forget that we were doing this, the, the reason we're doing this building faith for families at Sovereign Grace Church Dayton is not. This is not meant to be a um, primarily just simply a parenting seminar for so for those who are parents but for us as a church family um, to build faith for families in the church so so last week we began to talk about from this connected families uh, study this this framework that we began to enter into and and we're going to look at a little bit more tonight and over the next uh, three weeks actually tonight and then the next two Wednesday nights, we'll hopefully finish up on that last week in April, but we're going to be walking through this framework. It's not meant to be a um, all-encompassing kind of like parenting seminar. It's, it's so that all of us, parents and older people, younger people, singles, marrieds, whoever is part of this church family, that we would learn how to um, come alongside of families and how we would be able to think about, um, you know, think about caring for one another in a very uh, reasonable, reasonable way. I'm just going to wait for the stuff to get handed out. So, and uh, I, I know some more people will be coming coming back in soon. Hey, just so you know, we want those pens back. The, uh, so those those pens are uh, are. For the welcome packets, so we need those back. Um, but they are, I know, you'll probably find those pens to be some of your favorite pens. They're Okay, so so again, uh, really, what we're what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to work on this. Consider this framework that honestly is a framework that that Joy and I have kind of come to appreciate very much, and it's typically not a framework that that we've been used to. Um, kind, uh, at least we weren't when the kids were little. And uh, I want to tell you a story real quick, and I shared it already with you. Sorry, uh, Mary Catherine here again. But there was, um, when our kids were little, I was very much like, like the guy who's speaking on the video. I was very much like a, you listen to me, and you listen to me now, and you, you will do what I say, and you'll accomplish it right now. And if you don't, you're going to be in big trouble. And so I demanded immediate obedience, and uh, which worked sometimes uh, for some kids and didn't work with other kids. Ultimately, through the years, there was much more conversation that ensued, and I found out that as, the kid, as our kids turned teenagers, um, I started to learn some of these things, even though they weren't, it wasn't in this specific framework, but it more had to do with relationship. So, that, uh, so we've done a parenting seminar in the past where we talk about specifically parenting is really primarily relational. Um, what, what we what we want to go after relationship with God relationship with one another relationship with kids and or teenagers and relationship with um, friends so we've mentioned some of this last week but 
One of the things that happened that kind of t set me on a little bit of a different trajectory to thinking about things a little bit differently um, had to do more with what they're going to get to in this first session or the second session too. And that is like just kind of calming down, calming down and beginning to listen. And uh, unfortunately, that had, to, that had to occur when my kids were teenagers. And I wish that had happened when they were younger. So um, uh, my daughter, one, one of my daughters, we, she, was, uh, she was very, very agitated. Was probably 16 years old, something like that. And Joy and her were butting heads about some things. And it had, it had just kind of gone south big time. And it was, there was a lot, of, a lot of yelling, a lot of crying, and all that. And I was, and I was fed up, personally. As well, I was angry, wanting to uh, protect Joy, defend her, and and come against this daughter. And um, so I told the daughter, "Get get in that get in the room. We, we're going to have a conversation." And so we went in the room, and uh, it was it was the kind of den slash office slash TV room, whatever. And uh, I sat on one couch, and she sat on the other couch. And um, I was filled with. Uh, kind of rage towards her for the way that she was treating Joy and the, w the way she was acting out. <clears throat> and she was continuing to act out, and through tears, angry voice, and all of that. And and so, for whatever reason, I felt like okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna listen listen to her. She kept talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and crying and yelling and getting so frustrated. And then, like minutes went by, half an hour went by, an hour went by. And lots of time went by. And I'm not sure how long it was, but it was, we were in there together for quite a while. But it wasn't until probably 90 minutes in that the everything had come down so much that she started talking to me just like I'm talking now. And, and I was actually listening to what she had to say. She was really upset about something real. Um, she might have been wrong in the way that she was going about it, but what she was dealing with was real. And I, and I didn't want to listen to her. I wanted her to be quiet, stop treating Joy like a certain way, and then, and then just do what's right, rather than trying to understand where she was, where she, what she was thinking, where she was, um, where she was coming from. So over that period of time, <clears throat> I was listening to her. This was, this was not because anybody taught me to do this or anything, it was because I did not know what to do. And um, and so I was just quiet for a while, and what I found out happened was that she started to calm down. She started to talk to me normal, and she was still crying. She was still upset. She came over, um, kind of moved herself over, and she laid down on the couch, and she put her head on my lap and was just kind of gently sobbing in my lap. And we continued to have that conversation. And I point back to that time as a time when, um, when I realized I didn't, I didn't have this framework but I realized what we're going to be talking about tonight, that she did not feel safe with me. I mean, generally speaking, she felt safe with me. But in those moments, she did not feel safe. She felt like I was an adversary. Now, the reality was, was I an adversary at the beginning? Hands down, yeah. And she felt every bit of that. And until, until I got down on kind of her level and listening to her and and. Stop trying to, they're going to talk about like being big and large and demanding, um, actually coming down and having a conversation with her and listening to her, um, that she felt safe with me, felt safe enough to move off that couch over to this couch. And, and of course, I could have gone over to her 
but the way, it, the way it happened was this way, and she felt safe. And so that was, that was as a teenager, and I just think, as they'll show, there's, there's examples of it when your child is small, little, and, um, and so we'll talk about that tonight. So again, we're not big video curriculum people, um, <clears throat> but we used to be, definitely. But, but really, the reason I want to show you these videos is primarily because the, these, these people have been working on this in this area for 30 years and have so much experience and specifically have clinical experience that I think that we can all really learn from. There's going to be things that probably you're going to say, well, what about this or what about that? That's, that doesn't fit my category. Just can I say, let's just, like, just humbly listen and, and know that this week is just two sessions. There's other sessions coming. They're going to speak into certain things that may be questions that you have. And we'll have some Q&A time maybe as well. But, but um, uh, the thing that, just to set this up, one more, one more thing. When I consider um, God the Father, particularly, um, and I, this is true historically in, in, in the church, not just this church, but in the church at large, most people historically view God the Father as an angry tyrant kind of God. And if it wasn't for Jesus, Jesus is the nice one of the Trinity. The Spirit's kind of like a whatever, but, the, but Jesus is, is the nice one. And if it wasn't for Jesus, God would have us hang by our toenails. Um, and it's just not true. Um, we, we've been taught all sorts of things. Perhaps, I'm not going to get into the, all the psychology of this, but it's like perhaps it's because of the way you've been treated by your dad or, or whatever, but it could also just be the way that you have viewed viewed God by way of looking at things in this culture or in whatever the way that the way that dads are, the way that moms are, the way that authority is, and so you begin to view God in a certain way rather than viewing God from the place of God's word. So just before we start, could you turn to Exodus for a moment? <clears throat> Exodus 34, and I know this is a passage that you all know, but Exodus 34, we'll start in verse 6 and just read verse 6 and 7. This is pervasive, so this is the Old Testament God, the, the God that people would say, well, he's an angry God. Um, certainly, certainly there's, there are things to be angry about, his holy wrath, yes, absolutely, but he chooses not to describe himself as that when he makes himself known to Moses, but how does he reveal himself? He says, uh, the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, that is Yahweh, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and abounding in truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And yes, it does go on and say, Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Not specifically just simply saying, you know, then the fifth generation will be okay. The point, the, 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 the really the, the reality is here, how, how, how far does God the Father show his loving kindness? What does it say? 
to how many generations? Thousands, right? Does it just mean a thousand or does it mean like, this is who I am. This is my, I, I, this is, this is, I am compassionate and I'm slow to anger. But we feel when we sin, we feel like he's going to come, he's going to come down and get us. That's the way our culture views us, views God as well, because it's what the church has taught for so long, because God is just going to come down on sin, and yes, he will, but he is first and foremost loving kindness, gracious, and he is slow to anger. Why is anybody existing today? Is it not because our God is slow to anger and patient, and he wills that none should perish, and he's calling people to himself? Um, so I just think one of the things that is just foundationally true in parenting, so whether you're a parent or a grandparent or you're um, somebody who is in this church who is, or you've been parented, which is all of us, or you're somebody in this church who is watching and observing other parents, to recognize, hey, you know what, one thing that we can all do, one is pray for one another, two is we can be like that. Like we can be compassionate and gentle and slow to anger. Rather, what does that maybe look like? We're going to get into some of that tonight. And being safe, because it is, it, would it not be the thing that you would want most is to know that God is for you and that you're safe in him and that he's your refuge and that he's your fortress and that he's a rock and, and dad's and moms in this room, that there's a reflection that you are involved in all the time. And not just moms and dads, but others in this room as adults, as authorities. We ha there's, there's, a, there's a picture that we're giving. And so all we're trying to say is like, like we're not trying to say this is the way you parent. We're saying, hey, here's a framework. It starts with this foundation of making sure the kids that are in this church and the kids that are in the families in this church feel safe. So that's where we're going to go tonight. And here's the first video. when I encounter a circumstance to have the awareness to know or to ask myself what's going on in me first before I respond was just a, a real um, major shift in, in my ability just to connect and to help my kids kind of work through a situation. And that has helped a lot to take a few breaths when I feel myself either getting anxious or upset to know that I can be kind of scary if I get real big and loud. That was a really, really hard day when I had to step back and think that it, that I had made my children feel unsafe. That was a, um, a really hard moment. Welcome to session two. Today we'll focus on the message, you are safe with me. Parents best communicate this message by starting with the thoughtful question, what is going on in me? Understanding what is going on in me is the start of entering discipline situations with peace and purpose. It enables parents to start slow, get low, and listen. Welcome, friends. 
Today's is the first of two sessions geared toward building a strong foundation by thoughtfully receiving and passing on God's grace and truth to your kids. Yep, even when they misbehave. You do this by calming down and learning to ask yourself the ever-important question, what's going on in me? And then getting slow and low as you listen to your kid's perspective as part of your discipline. As you do this, you'll learn to communicate the message, you are safe with me because I'm for you in this discipline. Some people wonder why safety is important, and the answer is captured in this key thought. Kids learn best when they feel safe. And since you are the most important people in your kids' lives, they need to know their relationship with you is safe and secure even when they mm -hmm. misbehave. This isn't about the kind of safety that keeps kids from feeling disappointed or protects them from the consequences of misbehavior, but a kind of emotional safety that ensures that kids know that in the middle of discipline, you are for them and you want what's ultimately best for them. Safety sends the message, I'm strong enough to calmly and respectfully provide the accountability you need. Safety is the sense children get that you are trustworthy, that you're a compassionate guide and a firm protector of God's best for them. This sense leaves them feeling secure and able to learn from you mm -hmm. as a trusted mentor. This type of safety gives our kids a model of what safety with God is like, a heavenly father who is for us, but who also keeps us growing towards his best for our lives. Unfortunately, with the good intention of being firm, parents often forget to calm down and then unnecessarily scare or anger their kids. The kids might comply, but only out of fear. And this happens when parents address their kids' misbehavior by being fast <laughs> and large and loud. And I'm familiar with this because I was fast and large and loud a lot in my early days. I had a chance one day to pull out my old default with little Eli, who lived with his mom in our home for a few years once our kids were in college, and we got to spend a lot of time with him. He was just under three and was learning to clean up his toys. And so I recorded an interaction one day with his mom's permission and decided to start by being a little bit fast, large, and loud. The way we see and hear of a lot of parents starting with kids of all ages, the way that was familiar to me. And so see if this looks familiar to you. Are you done with the blocks? You clean up the blocks right now. What? Eli, you clean up these blocks right away. No. Do you want to lose the blocks? No. Then clean up the blocks. It's fairly natural for me to act that way because I did it many times with my own kids and not just when they were toddlers. And quite frankly, it worked about that well. We know when some parents see this, they might even think, Eli, just need a little firmer and swifter discipline. But watch what happened immediately after Eli's resistance when Jim simply switched to a calmer, kinder approach. And consider what Eli learned compared to what he would have learned by swift, firm discipline. Eli, look at me. Do you want help cleaning up the blocks, or do you want to do it by yourself? Help blocks. Okay, where's the bag? Can you get the bag? Where's the bag? Where's the, where's the bag? Oh, there it is. Can you pick it up and start putting the blocks in? Yeah. Oh. Eli? Who cleaned up the blocks? Eli. Yeah, you feel good about that, don't you? Give me five. Watching that video, it's always struck me by how obvious it is that when we calm down and add kindness to firmness, we can get a whole different result. 
And it's so cool to watch little Eli shift from being defensive and defiant to being responsive to my guidance. And whether kids are toddlers or teens or anywhere in between, when we can calm our spirits and then use a good blend of firmness and kindness with our kids, we're far more likely to see results like this. Hopefully you can see here how being safe is not about being soft or coddling kids. It's about gracefully holding a child mm -hmm. accountable so your child comes to respect you and your guidance. Because of this approach, by the time Eli was three, he quickly cleaned most messes when he was asked, and often even without being asked. Yeah, an amazing young man. And we're not promising that when your kids view you as safe, they're going to be perfectly behaved. <laughs> but we do want to reemphasize that kids learn best when they feel safe. And so let's visit Lynn's occupational therapy perspective to learn a little bit more about what happens in their little brains when kids feel unsafe. Have you ever wondered why discipline situations so easily spiral out of control and everyone's emotion can escalate to crazy places? Well, here's why. The first reason is emotions are contagious. Psychologists actually call the phenomenon emotional contagion. We've all experienced those times when we cry because the person we're with is crying, or we smile without thinking about it when someone smiles at us. Our brains are built to automatically and subconsciously mimic the facial expressions, tone of voice, and postures of people we interact with. This is a God-given function to bond us to each other. But when parents' facial expressions, tone, and postures flow from anger, anxiety, or defensiveness, those emotions can easily reflect back and forth between parents and kids and escalate the conflict. A second reason conflict escalates so quickly is that in emotional conflict, the brain reacts like it's being physically attacked. It uses the same self-defense system. And since the body's number one priority is self-protection, this system can hijack the whole brain as it pumps adrenaline and sends blood to the big muscles to get them ready to fight or run. This response is what we've often heard called fight or flight, where the whole goal is survival. Reasoning and relational skills would bog down quick reactions, so frontal lobe functions like empathy, self-awareness, complex language, and problem solving all just get shut down during conflict. The result is, in terms of relationships, nothing good happens in fight or flight. Now, fight or flight and conflict happens to all of us once in a while, but if we want normal to be that our kids' learning takes place in the reasoning center of the brain instead of the self-defense center, we have to be perceived as safe. So remember, your calm face, tone, and posture are contagious and helps your kids start their calming. Now, some parents don't feel a need to focus on safety. They assume that being really firm is okay as long as it works to get kids to do what the parents want. But the problem is that even if fast, large, and loud works to intimidate our kids into compliance, we're teaching them to submit to our angry power, and we don't know any parents who really want to do this. One of our favorite stories to illustrate the importance of safety is an 11-year-old girl who drew pictures of the dramatic change she'd seen in her mom after her first coaching session, where the parents first learned about calming down and being safe. 
In the first frame, you can see the fight and flight dynamic played mm -hmm. out. Mom is large, bearing fangs and roaring <laughs> with no intelligible words. The daughter looks intimidated, small and scared, like she's trying to escape. Well, in her first two weeks of coaching, the mom began using a practical strategy to calm herself when a conflict escalated. As the picture shows, she rubbed lotion <laughs> into her hands to help her calm down and think more clearly. This is a good plan, by the way, because pressure on your hands can be really calming. As the daughter explained the pictures to her mom, she sort of shifted into this southern drawl on the third frame and said, And then, Mom, you get real friendly like, like we need to talk, sweetie poo. <laughs> and then you can see the mom smiling as she bends down to connect with her daughter in the last frame. Look at the difference in her daughter. Closer to normal size, no longer looking intimidated, and now she's being held accountable and facing her mom to work it out. This picture was drawn years ago, and this family is flourishing with strong, connected relationships between parents and teens. The parents credit this change to their efforts to be safe when disciplining their kids. So let's take a moment to consider your best ways of calming down. Think of a time when you calmed yourself in the heat of a challenge, maybe even a challenge having nothing to do with your kids. How do you calm yourself? And what was the result? Okay, so that that, uh, that question is on there for you. So just go ahead and take like two minutes just to kind of answer that before we move on. One thing that it might be a temptation <clears throat> is for, uh, because, because we're so attuned to gospel, gospel power and, and the place of sin and the need for the spirit, that sometimes we can be a little bit maybe pseudo-theological somehow by saying, well, you need the Holy Spirit to calm yourself. I would say, okay, yeah, yep, you do. But the Holy Spirit is going to use means as well. And so sometimes, so for that lady, it was, there was a, there was a, there was a, I mean, she used lotion, just rubbing her hands together and just kind of focusing on something else. I know a, another uh, um, person I love very much that they were so angry one, one day with their wife that they um, uh, ran out into uh kind of went out of the house and went face first into uh, um, snow, I think, and just kind of cooled, like literally cooled off. And it was just this like moment just to take a breath and kind of reset. Um, I, I, I can go for a walk or something like that or just get outside and breathe. I think you started to uh, breathe, use what? 
cold water on your face, stuff like that. You know, just, just different things to kind of calm down, to relax. So it's interestingly, it's not, it's, not, it's not falsely, it's not humanistic to, to, to not mention the Holy Spirit in this, okay? We're, we're in, this, in this moment, we're, we're not saying, hey, we don't need the Holy Spirit. We can do this on our own. We're saying, absolutely, we have the Holy Spirit in us at work. And so you know sometimes when you're facing temptation, um, sometimes, um, if not all the time, the Holy Spirit will say, um, get out of that situation. Move. Leave the room. Get, get out of that. Stop looking at that. Shut it off. There's practical things to do, right? So, so just, just wanted to make mention of that. All right, we're going to go to the next video. The many different answers parents give to that last question about calming down are the many different ways parents already know how to not be fast, large, and loud. So this can be your practical starting place to communicating the message you are safe with me when disciplining your kids. And take some time to browse the answers others have given and see if you get inspiration for a practical new idea or two. I sure needed practical tools for this when our kids were young. I remember mm -hmm. one day Daniel angrily said to me, Mom, you just burst it all over us. <laughs> Clearly my fast, large, and loud mm -hmm. was not getting me the respect mm -hmm. I was hoping for. <laughs> So as we worked on this and then started helping other parents, we coined the idea that if you want to stop being fast, large, and loud, then work to go slow, low, and listen. Now, of course, in dangerous situations, fast, large, and loud is needed to protect our kids. But if we want them to trust us at times like these, then fast, large, and loud needs to be the rare exception, not the frequent rule. And we found that slow, low, and listen is the best way to earn that trust. So let's unpack it. Slow is simply about slowing down your approach speed or even waiting a bit before addressing this behavior. A great starting place is to slow down your breathing. One mom learned to take five to 10 deep, slow breaths when it got intense with her kids while she internally prayed various combinations of mm. calming words like, <laughs> I breathe in your love and then slowly, I breathe out your grace. Mm. After these prayers, she was ready to engage with her kids in a safe, loving way. When you've slowed your breathing down, then you can speak slowly, which calms you down and feels much safer to your mm. child. Compare, what's going on in here? Versus, hmm, what's going on in here, kids? Mm. I got motivated to slow down when I realized how often I'd rush toward my kids' misbehavior like a raging bull. <laughs> but when I recognized <laughs> that my fast and intense approach was shutting down my daughter and provoking my son to anger, I developed a phrase to help me remember to stop. And the phrase was that forward progress begins with a backward step, just like how a quarterback steps back to assess the situation before executing a play. And I found that if I literally stopped and took a step back when I was inclined to rush in, it helped me slow down and think and maybe even whisper a quick prayer myself. I grew to love that slower approach because it ended up being so much more constructive. And then low is about literally doing what you can to shrink or relax your posture so you don't appear intimidating. Why do you think we stand tall and put our hands on our hips and raise pointed fingers? Because we look bigger and more intimidating. Lay back and share a little bit. <laughs> but those body positions actually aggravate the fight or flight going on in our brains. And then that 
aggravates it in our kids' brains. So low is about consciously doing what I can to get my body out of an intimidating posture and into a safe posture. For older kids, you might just sit down in the recliner for a little bit like I did as you take a few deep breaths. I mean, how often do we scream at our kids while we're <laughs> leaning back in the recliner? Not very often because it's not a familiar brain loop. When kids are squabbling with each other, you can take a knee or call a huddle. You can sit down on the floor or even lay near your child. One dad of teens told us that sometimes when I'm mad, I actually lay down on the floor and it's physically impossible to yell. It really calms me down. Once we're slow and low, we can listen. Hmm. Listening to our kids is simply obedience to the Bible's teaching in James chapter 1, 19 and 20, where it says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, we're the adults, so we get to start the listening ball rolling. This earns our kids respect and sets an example of real listening that our kids can gradually learn to follow. One dad I coached posted this verse around their house and saw great <laughs> results in both him and his kids. Mm -hmm. So if we really want to listen to our kids, we have to ask the sort of questions they'll respond to, like calmly asking, hmm, what's going on here? Or do you need some help solving this problem? Parents have told us that just these two questions have really helped them settle their kids and themselves and think more constructively especially if they're asked in a relaxed and truly curious way, these questions engage the left language logic side of the kid's brain, which de-escalates all of our fight and flight reactions. And they also communicate all four powerful messages that you're safe and you're loved and you're capable and you're responsible. Listening is also about being open to hear God's prompting as we engage with our kids. Mm -hmm. Here's a story about how slow, low, and listen helped a mom gain wisdom for a persistent challenge. Karen shared her story with us. The first time I did slow, low, listen was almost an accident when Zach was in the midst of an intense meltdown. I was spiraling out of control and heard the Holy Spirit whisper, just stop talking, which was really more like yelling, and sit down. So I did. Zach had followed me into our bathroom, so I got quiet and sat down on the side of our bathtub and continue to pray for help and wisdom. Zach began to calm himself down, sat down beside me, and put his head on my shoulder. After we were both calm, he said without prompting, I'm sorry for yelling at you and for pushing you. I should not have done that. I said, God has so much mercy on us when we're struggling, and he is always ready to help us. We talked about gentleness and about how much better it felt for both of us to work out our struggle in a calm way. We've done this quite a few times since, and it's made a huge difference. Karen's story reminds me of how much more satisfied I was, and still am with my own parenting, when I simply stop, take a step back, and even pray and listen for God's prompting. And it turns out that my quietness sometimes is the best discipline for both me and my kids. For me, just shifting from how do I control this situation to just whispering a prayer, Lord, what's the opportunity here? That made all the difference in how I engaged in discipline. Mm -hmm. And it really got me listening for God's perspective. This listening approach made me so much calmer and wiser as I worked to grow my kids mm -hmm. in wisdom and skills for life. It was really a game changer for me. And it's also been a game changer for many. And we want to share a quick story with you from one family about the importance of learning this message, you are safe with me. It just seemed like Ella was really struggling with emotions. 
And so she would just have these huge blow-ups and these huge fits, and it would even be over very small things. You know, anytime something made her sad or upset her, it was just right to this really intense anger. And that was really scary for us. We felt like we just had to squelch that behavior, stop it, or at least move it away so that people couldn't see it because we were feeling helpless and not knowing what to do, but also kind of ashamed. There were definitely times that we just snapped back and yelled ourselves to match her volume or, um, you know, maybe stormed off or slammed a door. You could see almost immediately in her um, <laughs> uh, that that was painful for her. You know, that that was, um, she didn't know what to do with that either. And I think she didn't know what to do with it within herself. And then to see that reaction from one of us, um, it hurt her, which was really hard, so. Yeah, even if we got the behavior that we wanted, if we came back and were like, I don't like the way that went. I think I forgot how scary I could be when I would yell or get upset. And sometimes I would yell not even being angry, but I could start to see in my girls' eyes that they were afraid. Uh, I realized I need to stay a little calmer. Um, and that has helped a lot to take a few breaths when I feel myself either getting anxious or upset. Um, to know that I can be kind of scary if I get real big and loud. Um, and so it's helped me put into perspective what my actions might look like to a four-year-old and a six-year-old and to help get low, talk slow, um, let's work through this. We still have things that we need to work on and <laughs> it's not uh, peachy keen every day, oh, but um, we have the tools and resources to know when things get heated, we can address it before it ever gets to a point where it's kind of scary. If any of this story sounds familiar to you, then you'll probably find it really helpful to add a little more slow, low, and listen to your approach. We're going to jump right into the third third section, really. But what um, that and because because all all of this is kind of coming around to really, I think, and every almost every good parenting book is going to get to this um, pretty quick. But the issue in parenting is most often us. Uh, so what's going on underneath the surface of our own responses? Um, what kind of control issues are we having? You know, as a um, as parents, and so again, just to remind you to keep to keep those of you who aren't yet parents in 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 um, you know in, in check here is is that you've all been parented in certain ways, and you, you know and and so you're you're kind of instructed already by the way your parents parented, which may be good, maybe bad, maybe a mix of it's probably a mix of both, right? And so um, the reality is is you have ideas on parenting. And you have ideas from, you know, I think about culture, like just, just cultural differences, um, whether it's Colombia or, or like Africa, um, if, if um, the Karayukis were here, or, or India, or, or, you know, the States. So there's just different, different cultures. And inside, inside of each culture, there's nor certain norms. And what we're trying to do here is just kind of say, hey, these are, these are not American 
centric guidelines. These are these are these are broader kind of biblical thoughts that are tr trying to trying to put put some hands and feet to things. So, so I think uh, while you're listening, um, as as maybe a non an, a non parent of a child right now, to be able to like look at the section that has the orange section here. Um, after we finish this next video, there's there's a whole page of beliefs about myself, beliefs about my child, and I would just encourage you um, to begin praying for each other in those ways. That that parents would would truly like if you go to that back page um, or before um, before the dig deeper, you know, there's just toxic beliefs, and then there's grace filled truths, and so praying against the one and praying for another, for parents in our church. And understanding when you see a parent like tee off on one of their kids, to be able to pray for them and care for them, and be able to just un understand, hey, like, um, what, like, Lord, would you help them to, to to know what's going on in their own heart, and um, and rather than just going, just kind of observing from a place like whoa, or judging or whatever. Is it, is it, I hope I hope all that makes sense. Let's watch this next video. <laughs> Now we've covered the importance of safety and the importance of slow, low, and listen. But sometimes, just determining to calm down <laughs> isn't enough. <laughs> you try, but there's something under the surface that just keeps festering and makes it really hard to do. We know this happens to all of us at some point. Mm -hmm. And so at times like this, we invite parents to look inward and ask that very important question, what's going on in me? What causes me to either keep showing up fast, large, and loud? or keep letting kids off the hook in unhelpful ways? And what do I need to do to address this, this persistent challenge? The bottom line is that we all have baggage. I have baggage, <laughs> Lynn has baggage, and yes, it's quite likely, in fact, for sure, that even you have baggage. Simply stated, baggage is the stuff we bring into interactions that have little to nothing to do with that interaction. So if, when we discipline, we are condescending or controlling or angry or we're anxious or timid, that's our clue that baggage is showing up. And if that baggage keeps getting in the way of our interactions with our kids, you might describe it as toxic. Mm -hmm. I recognize toxic baggage when I paid attention to a persistent, almost automatic thought in my head during my frequent power struggles with Daniel. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, I'm an angry mom raising an angry child. And when he gets to be a teenager, it's going to be horrible. This toxic thought just kind of poisoned my interactions with Daniel by making me even more determined to control him so my nightmare didn't become a reality. But the more I tried to control him, the worse it got. Fortunately, I had a habit of looking inward to consider what's going on in me and what do I want to do about it. One day as I was praying about this negative thought, I was convicted by a verse in Ephesians about speaking the truth in love. And I felt like God was saying, you're not speaking the truth in love to yourself about you or Daniel. So I thought, okay, well, what else am I going to believe? Okay, we get along so great. Well, not so much. <laughs> there was a coating of truth on what I was believing. I need some help with my anger issues. But at the core of my persistent thought was a lie about our identity mm -hmm and our future. So I tried to figure out what is fully true, hopeful, and helpful that I can believe and hang on to. And I realized 
I'm an intense mom raising an intense child, and we butt heads, but we love each other. That was the bottom line. As I hung on to this healthy belief, it really changed the tone of our interactions. And eventually I realized raising Daniel was a hilarious <laughs> adventure. <laughs> In his teen years, he could still be a challenge. In his 30s, he could still be a challenge. <laughs> but we had so much fun with him, and none of what I had ever feared came to pass. Uh, changing my beliefs was the starting place for getting unstuck. I listened to that story, and I, I um, just have to admit that Lynn was so much more thorough about her self-reflection than I was. But I remember many times just walking in the streets in our quiet neighborhood, doing my best to replace anxious thoughts with simple truth, even from the Bible, like be anxious in nothing, but in everything, make my request to God and let his peace rule my heart. And I would repeat it over and over again because that was the best I could do. And this habit helped me make better choices when it came to time to deal with the kids and with their misbehavior. And once in a great while, if I was really stuck, I even sought help from others, pastors, professionals, uh, I did this a few times. Um, well, we both did. Mm -hmm. Looking inward is vital, whether you're struggling with being too harsh or too timid as a parent. A coaching client I worked with was paralyzed in her responses when her aggressive son got upset. She'd fixate on thoughts like, I can't handle this kid. He never listens to me. I'm afraid of him. These repeated thoughts made her more timid and less able to provide discipline. We talked about how confident follow-through in discipline is essential for kids' sense of safety and trust. Things began to change when she shifted her thoughts to, he needs me to follow through. I'm strong enough to do this. Sometimes the toxic beliefs that keep us stuck are judgments about our child. One day when we were with a group, Lynn shared her angry mom, angry child story, and the dad in the room got visibly shaken. He raised his hand right then and said, I'm so convicted by this right now. After my intense daughter has one of her meltdowns, I often say to my wife, she's just a train wreck. I don't say it near my daughter, but I know she knows that's how I feel. And it's just poisonous in our relationship because it feeds my anxiety and anger. I want to be a different dad beginning now. I followed up with this dad a couple years later, and he said, my relationship with my daughter changed that day. Mm -hmm. He emailed me. I realized my daughter is a stunningly creative, passionate, and a gifted person. She loves God and other people with all her heart. For her, life is an opportunity to put the pedal to the metal and just go for it. And when she goes for it, the results are beautiful. She's not a train wreck. She's a masterpiece. And I'm so glad I've come to see her that way. What a huge change. Another similar example of giving a child power over our emotional well-being is when a parent believes I'm more valuable when my child is well-behaved and successful. Now, we don't say that out loud either, or maybe even think it in that way, but it's actually a really common underlying belief. And it sure can drive us to some unhelpful behavior to try to get our child to be well-behaved or successful so we feel good. Mm -hmm. So to counteract those toxic thoughts when your child is blowing it big time and you can feel the angst rising, you can remind yourself, my child is not my report card. <laughs> or even, I can be okay, even if my child is not. As parents begin to replace toxic beliefs with thoughts that are fully true and quite helpful and hopeful, even their own identity can begin to change. 
I remember thinking a true and hopeful thought during one of my child's meltdowns in a store. Uh, this is another chance to practice getting my value from Jesus. <laughs> it was quite calming and helpful, actually. When your well-being doesn't rise and fall with your kids' behavior, they don't have to worry about measuring up in order to please you. And you can be free from the burden of trying to make them measure up so you can feel good about yourself. Letting go of this is one of the best gifts you can give your child. This is hard stuff mm -hmm. to look inward. We've coached a lot of parents to get below the surface and dig into those underlying beliefs. We believe strongly in the Bible's teaching and invite mm -hmm. parents to live by the idea that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when we hear or see what comes out of us, then we can obey the Bible's teaching to take these toxic thoughts captive to Christ's obedience. It's hard work, but almost all significant change in families happens when parents take an honest look inside and then bring hopeful, helpful truth into their discipline challenges. So as we wrap this session, we know that for many parents, baggage can be pretty deeply ingrained and difficult to unpack. Lynn and I both sought the help of pastors and spiritual directors and therapists to do the hard work of understanding how the things we believe about ourselves and our children drive our behavior and either do or don't intersect with God's truth. The benefit of this work, whether it's pretty deep stuff and takes some time, or it's pretty straightforward and can be unpacked in a conversation with a spouse or, or a friend, is that you can begin to experience the wonderful <laughs> truth that sets you free. We have a phrase we share with parents, What's hidden gains power, but what's revealed can be healed. So we invite you to take some time and ponder, and then share with your group or jot down thoughts in your workbook. What is a common underlying thought you have about your kids' behavior challenges? How might you rethink that thought to be truthful and as helpful and hopeful as it can be? And we invite you to come to the next session prepared to share what you've learned. Next week, we'll do one more session. Joe, do you want to say something real quick? I just wanted to share one quick thing on that toxic thinking. Um, that was something I really struggled with, and unfortunately, I was prone to express those thoughts to my kids sometimes, particularly about feeling like a failure. Uh, I often felt like a failure as a mother, um, as a homeschooler. Um, you'll see on here, one of the toxic beliefs is, if my child fails this class, I have failed her, I'm a failure. Um, it wasn't, yeah, it was just a general sense of a failure. So one time I must have been expressing this to one of my daughters, the, the daughter that seems to come up all the time. <laughs> in this. Um, and she looked at me and she said, Every time you say that you feel like a failure, what I hear you saying is that I'm a failure. And uh, I don't think I ever said that to her again. But I think when sometimes we're so self-focused that we're not realizing some of the things that we say, what they're communicating to our children, even if we don't think it's about them, they pick it up. What she was believing is if I did better, you wouldn't feel like a failure. So I just wanted to share that. So that was the 
toxic thought. The belief, the grace-filled truth is if my child fails this class, she will have failed one class. That's it. She's still a child of God, as am I. Okay, we're going to try to continue continue on into the next the next document that I gave you, and um, this will go right till eight o'clock. Not not this video, but we're, we're going to go right to eight o'clock tonight. So that way we can try to get through as much as we can. My kids seeing me actively work on taking deep breaths and saying to them, mommy needs a minute to calm down. I'm feeling frustrated. And when I'm in a better place and calmer, I'm, I'm going to come back to you. But right now, I need a minute. And when we hit the pause button, we can have a conversation where it doesn't have to be angry and it doesn't have to be loud and it can be fun. And then the child that we really know is in there opens up and enables us to be the parents that we want to be. Welcome to session three of the Discipline That Connects online course. In today's session, we'll dig even deeper into the message, Child, You Are Safe With Me. Jim and Lynn will teach you tools for empowering kids to calm down and introduce you to a game changer that we call do-overs. Welcome to session three. In our last session, we discussed the foundational message, you are safe with me, and the importance of staying calm so our kids feel safe and secure with us, even when we discipline them. We talked about how to take a deeper look at what's going on in us, recognize God's grace in challenges, and use a slow, low, and listen approach with our kids. Mm -hmm. As parents learn these skills, they find it often goes so much smoother for both them and their children. But we also know that sometimes... Even when you calmly take that deep breath and feel confident, things can still get out of hand fast. And this is normal because this is all new for both you and your kids. So we're going to dig a little deeper today by focusing on strategies for helping kids calm down and for regrouping ourselves when we lose our cool. Let's start by discussing how we can empower kids to calm down. This is about so much more than just sending them to their rooms or their screens. It's about helping them develop values and skills for self-calming. We break this down for parents by talking about how to intentionally model calming, structure purposeful breaks, and teach kids to self-calm. Let's look at these one by one. Intentionally modeling calming is not something most parents normally think about. If anything, we think about the bad example we've set of saying or doing things we regret. So we invite you to consider that when you are in some sort of conflict over misbehavior with your kids, you have your best opportunity to teach the important skill of self-calming by being an example of it. And when parents get intentional about their example to their kids, um, kids learn much more quickly to follow it, especially if parents think out loud about the example they're setting. This was such an important goal for me to keep in the back of my mind when things got crazy between the kids and me. It didn't work for me to just say, oh, you just need to be more patient. <laughs> the key to intentional modeling is to be really obvious and even describe how you're calming down. Yeah, Christy was a great example of this. Her daughter, Sierra, was extremely sensitive and intense. And Christy's firm, you need to calm down, Sierra, only made things worse. So she worked to do everything she could to be an example of self-calming. 
by thinking out loud, explaining her actions, and even praying out loud to calm herself. She'd take deep breaths in obvious ways, and sometimes she'd invite Sierra to join her before they tried to solve their conflict. Before she ever saw any impact with Sierra, Christy noticed a change in herself that she felt really good about. She told us, I feel calmer and wiser. The thought that helps me is, Jesus is so patient with me, I want to be that way for Sierra. Mm -hmm. And Christy first learned how this was helping her daughter from Sierra's kindergarten teacher. That is one intense little girl, the teacher told her. But when she gets upset, I watch her talk herself off the ledge and calm down like no child I've ever seen. It's so awesome when parents take charge of themselves before worrying too much about taking charge of their kids. It's the same idea as taking the airplane oxygen mask for yourself first before helping your kids. I learned the importance of intentional modeling kind of by accident in conflict <laughs> with Daniel. <laughs> he was super verbal and quick, and he was great at backtalk and sassiness. <laughs> I would take charge by proclaiming, you can't talk to me that way. Well, that was rather irrational because he just had, and he was sure to again sometime soon. <laughs> the apple had soon. not fallen far from the tree, right? <laughs> but what I had just done was increase his intensity to talk to me that way because when I shouted back, he felt the need to defend himself. So one day, I just tried a different approach, and I said, Daniel, I'm feeling really upset, and I'd like to take a break because I don't want to be disrespectful to you. It was hard for him to fight that because it was done in the name of being respecting to him. And it communicated the message that I'm responsible for my behavior, not yours, and I care about you and want to be respectful. Yeah, that was such a cool dynamic to watch, and it was so cool for us to grow in this kind of approach over time as Lynn and I both learned to be more intentional and verbal about the example we set when we calmed down. Pretty soon, Daniel caught on. And even though it was a little messy at first, even with a little sassy edge like, <laughs> chill out, I'm really ticked off, or give me some space, it was forward progress. So we acknowledged his progress and celebrated it with only minimal attention to the sassy edge. And over time, he more and more followed the respectful example that we set. And we hear a lot of parents tell similar stories when they learn to get intentional and verbal about the example they set. So give it a try. <laughs> and now let's move on to the importance of learning purposeful breaks because, well, it's just really important. Yeah. The Gottman Research Institute is one of the most respected marriage and family research groups in the world, and they tell us being able to shift gears in the heat of an argument and take a break is one of the most crucial relationship skills. It's also one of the most difficult. And by breaks, we're not talking about timeouts where kids just sit and fume because they got sent to their room or diversions that just brush tough feelings under the rug. We're talking about constructive breaks, even doing something pleasant for the purpose of calming down in order to solve conflict. Helping kids learn to take breaks starts with you taking breaks calmly and respectfully and then gradually guiding your kids to take them too. Sometimes parents take breaks by dashing off to their bedroom announcing, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> I need a break. It's not what we're talking about here. Right? <laughs> no. But this can make kids feel rejected and anxious and the young ones might even be screaming and kicking your door. Instead, you can try, hey kids, I'm having some really big feelings and I want to calm down and be kind to you before we try to solve this. This communicates both a sense of respect and sets a clear expectation about doing more to solve the issue. So if you can, take little breaks when you're upset and announce it. Or if you come in gentle and quiet and your kids are pretty amped up, they might not even notice you. At times like this, they need you to engage with a calm spirit but with some energy and even some loudness to match theirs. Maybe like this, hey, 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 
This isn't going so well, is it? How about a little break for everyone before solving this? Here's how taking breaks helped one family with two young school-age girls who fought viciously and frequently hurt each other. A few years ago, when Kevin and Leah took the girls on vacation, they hit a low point in their girls' conflict with each other. Ashley and Amber were being physically aggressive and screaming at each other, usually several times a day. Kevin and Leah would dive into the conflict, angrily yelling things like, Stop it! What's wrong with you? This is not okay! Which made the girls even madder, and sometimes they'd even hit their parents. Kevin and Leah felt discouraged and desperate, so they dove into Connected Families' ideas about sibling conflict resolution. They started by looking for anything they could find to encourage. Ashley and Amber loved it when in the calm times their parents shared with them about their own conflicts growing up and as adults and talked about how conflict is normal and it's hard for families to get along. Kevin and Leah told them, we love you and we don't want you to get hurt, so we're going to encourage you to just take breaks when you fight. For a couple of weeks, they didn't focus on anything other than helping their girls get really good at separating. They encouraged each small bit of progress. And when Ashley and Amber felt successful at taking breaks, then Kevin and Leah began to help them understand each other's feelings and solve their conflicts. We asked Leah about the impact of all this effort, and her email response was quite remarkable. The changes have been amazing. Celebrating every time our girls simply separated was huge in helping them start to make progress when we all felt stuck. By one year later, when we went on vacation again, they had no meltdowns, and we were blown away by how well the girls treated each other the entire time. Quite a miracle for our family in just one year. One last thing about breaks that we get asked about a lot is, what about when there's no time to take a break and calm down and resolve conflict? Like when you're just trying to get out the door. When that happens, you can help your kids learn to save it to solve it. You can guide kids to make a quick note or a drawing that reminds them of the issue they're upset about. If you put it on the fridge or bulletin board for later, it helps keep them accountable to resolve it. Mm -hmm. One mom has a notebook for each child in the car because getting out the door was often such angry mayhem. Conflicts from the morning rush then got solved after school. The message is, we don't sweep conflict under the rug just because it's inconvenient. Saving their conflicts like that began to build her kids' skills because they were much calmer when they worked it out. Helping kids take a break is sometimes all they need to be able to work it out. But sometimes emotions are just too intense. The next video segment is all about specific tools for teaching kids to calm down. As you're helping kids take a break, you can also help them learn that calm bodies make calm brains, which is the next topic. Take a look at this video submitted by a mom named Andrea, who gently leads her screaming son to calm down. You'll see how her approach communicates, I'm for you, not against you. And she empowers her son to calm down and choose to cooperate. Oh, 
Is it something else? Yeah. Is it something hard? Yeah. Yeah. Give me the [inaudible 2:25:19.95] Okay, I'll get you help, okay? Okay. Okay, you do some prep. Okay. Austin. [noise] Isn't that awesome? It's a great example of providing the encouragement and practical tools kids need to do better. And I love how she helped him get in touch with his body, his heart, his breathing. Whether toddlers or teens, helping kids be aware of the ways their body is working helps them learn to calm down. And almost any time kids learn about themselves, they feel good about it. One of the best ways to help kids calm down is help them learn to breathe deeply. Our favorite way to help young kids with this is to teach them dragon breath. A dragon breathes fresh air in through the nose and gets all the fire out so your brain can think better. <laughs> Be sure to practice this in fun ways with your kids so it's familiar and they don't feel mm -hmm. criticized or controlled by the idea when they really need to do yeah, it. Yeah, a mom of a four-year-old helped him learn this skill and then one day during a squabble, the little fella told her, hey mom, you need to take some dragon breaths. <laughs> so clearly he was learning. And Lynn, I know you've dealt with lots of young parents and explosive kids in your role as an occupational therapist. So why don't you share a few pointers about helping kids learn to calm down? Have you ever wondered why are we so stuck in this pattern of angry conflict? Well, here's why and what you can do about it. A popular phrase among brain researchers is neurons that fire together or wire together. This simply means messages that repeatedly travel the same pathway in the brain fire faster and easier as connections strengthen until they become automatic. If fast, large, and loud parenting happens a lot, it forms brain pathways that start working like superhighways. Parents' harsh actions and kids' fight or flight reactions grow stronger, faster, and more easily triggered. These fight or flight reactions actually happen in two phases. The first phase is an intense, quick burst of energy. And then if there's still a threat or a problem after a few seconds, a sustained phase kicks in. This second fight or flight phase is much more complicated and it can take a long time to recover from it. Even if a big blow up is over, a child may be out of sorts and easily set off for quite a while. This all sounds like bad news, but it can be good news if when conflict happens, you repeatedly help kids learn to respond to their distress with calming strategies. Because of the two phases of fight or flight, it's most effective to offer calming help in the first few seconds of your child's outburst so the sustained phase doesn't get triggered. When you soothe an upset child, nerve connections strengthen between the child's fight or flight system and their cognitive rational frontal lobe. Over time, as you do this repeatedly, it increases the speed at which your child can recover and regain rational thinking when they're upset. Eventually, your kids will be equipped with self-calming strategies they can use independently for a lifetime. That's a great overview. I love having an OT for a wife. And by the way, these <laughs> ideas apply to grown-ups too sometimes. W one dad heard it and simply started offering a quick and gentle, hey buddy, you're really upset. How can I help you? He said this to his defiant preschooler. You can also invite your child to join you in calming down. Like, I'm gonna calm down with some deep breaths. You wanna join me? One mom got out a couple of pieces of paper and markers and she and her son sat next to each other to draw. 
because he was better with pictures than words, he was able to draw out the conflict and how he felt. You can also teach your kids that motion changes emotion, <laughs> that certain kinds of big physical activity are really calming. So you might offer to toss a ball or shoot some hoops with your child until he's ready to talk about your conflict. One dad found that play wrestling would calm his son enough to talk. Leading your child in some push-ups could be helpful for both mm -hmm. of you. A mom I coach would go for a jog with her daughter when she was really upset, and they could solve their problem so much more calmly. So many options, and we hope it's clear by now that when we help our kids calm down, it helps them feel safe, and it communicates the underlying message that your big overwhelming feelings mm -hmm. don't overwhelm me, and I love you so much that I want to help you with them. We see so many families start to turn around once parents learn to help their kids calm down, and the benefits are lasting. In extensive research, the ability to stay physically calm during conflict was more important to long-term relational happiness than any other factor. <laughs> so as you do this hard work of leading your children and calming, you're building into all their future and key relationships. Okay, just, just a <clears throat> quick thought, <clears throat> excuse me, before we watch the last video and specifically speaking about do-overs. I wanted to just make mention of James chapter 4. So James 4 says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust, you don't have, and continue on, right? You, we don't get something we want. We want it so bad, so we, we fight. Um, and yeah, our kids have sin natures. But, but the reality is, little ones uh, do uh, as well. But, 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 but we're, in, in our own hearts, we're, we're the ones who are... Who are bringing a lot of we want something so big we want you to do do this that and the other thing and so we don't take the time to just kind of calm down relax recognize hey you know what i want i want this i want this too bad what is it what is it i'm wanting well really what i want to do is that i want to please the lord i don't want to provoke my child to anger am i wanting his respect or her respect more than I want God to be pleased in this situation. You see, like we're the ones who are like needing to address ourselves here, primarily. Um, and uh, and yes, there's sin uh, attached to all of this. But um, and so I know that one of the things that that I would have if if I were listening to this this whole stuff the first time. I'd be thinking, well, what about, what about sin? Or what about, what about the sinful nature? What about all this kind of stuff? I mean, yes and amen to all of that. But the reality is, like, we are, we are, we are like a, this well-orbed person, um, not just a spiritual person, not just in a spiritual fight. There's, there's also, we are that, but there's all sorts of physical components. There's all sorts of emotional components. There's all sorts of psychological components. So, so we have to address each kind of thing. So this is one thing I really love about this stuff is that specifically they're addressing they're addressing these things kind of in order, not in order of importance, but just in order of like um, of process, uh, of, of thinking through things, building this foundation. The foundation that is underneath all of this is that the Lord is for us and he's not going to depart from us. He is with us and he's for our families. He's for us parenting. He's for us, for, for the families in this church. So, so we want to continue to grow in that kind of thing. I, I also just want to say, I hope you recognize this, that everything that he's talking about, they're talking about concerning interactions with children, 
actually true of interactions with each other, right? So it's like um, every parenting class I've ever taken, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like totally true for my marriage. And that's true for my relationship with my friends. And that's true for, because it's truth. It's, it's God's word. It's truth about relationships. So, so we get irritated with each other. We get upset with each other about certain things. Take a breath. Take a breath and, and, and consider the other person before yourself. And so we go, we go to Philippians 2 and we start thinking about that kind of stuff. So I, I, I kind of want to go on and talk a little bit more, but I want to get this last video in. So, um, and we're going to go like three minutes late. Sorry about that. We've equipped you with practical tools to give you your best shot at helping your kids calm down when conflict gets intense. But of course, there'll be times your kids simply don't want to calm down and you eventually lose your cool. Or you just enter a challenge revved up and realize, shoot, I'm losing it right now. No matter how you got there, when you realize your response is off track, it's actually pretty easy to get back on track. When discipline efforts get derailed, you can lead with grace by doing a do-over. <laughs> like the day I came home from work, I was stressed, I was distracted, and I entered the house to all three of my kids fighting over a magazine. And I yelled at them right away, kids, I've had a hard day at work, and the last thing I wanted was to come home to fighting kids. There I was, fast, large, and loud again. And there my kids were, pushed right toward fight or flight again by my attack. But we had started talking with the kids about the framework and the messages you're learning. So when I entered with pretty much the opposite of those ideas, our oldest son, Daniel, gave a confused look at me and said, Dad, you didn't connect first. <laughs> well, he was right. And so I said, I'm sorry, that's not how I want to come home. Could I have a do-over? And they laughed a bit as I walked backward through the door and paused for a minute while I was in the garage and then said a quick prayer for wisdom. Well, by the time I returned, my request for a do-over had already helped the kids settle down. But just to follow through, I said, kids, I, I know you're having a conflict. Do you need some help with it? Otherwise, I've had a tough day and I could use some quiet. Well, since they'd already settled down and were being more respectful with each other already, they just said, we got it, Dad. <laughs> and I smiled and said, thanks. And the conflict was over. So many parents have told us that doing do-overs has been the key to learning to mm -hmm. discipline with grace and wisdom. It keeps parents from getting stuck in unhelpful habits and ruts of discouragement. Often when parents blow it in discipline, they get stuck in self-talk like, oh, I'm always so impatient, or I was such a pushover again. But discouraged thinking about our harsh or weak responses and reliving the failure in our minds actually makes it more likely that we'll do the same response next time. In the book, The Willpower Instinct, we learn that study after study shows that self-criticism is consistently associated with less motivation and worse self-control. Surprisingly, it's forgiveness, not guilt, that increases accountability. So to start on the path of forgiveness, the simple steps are to ask your child if you can have a do-over and even ask for forgiveness if you've truly offended them. And then rewind, maybe even entering the room again and responding differently in a kind but firm way. And then self-affirm when you're done by making a statement either out loud or to yourself about your success. We know one mom who said, I gave myself high fives. By self-affirming, you strengthen brain pathways because you physically experience success instead of dwelling on your mistake. You'll know you're making progress when you catch yourself knowing you need a do-over a little sooner each time. So be patient 
and encouraged by even small steps of progress. <laughs> I remember I used to say, that's the way, uh-huh, uh-huh, I love it, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> As we mentioned, this isn't just for when you find yourself being harsh and intimidating, but also for when you let the kids off the hook when it would have been best to keep them accountable. So let's make this practical. Suppose your child talks back like this. I don't want to do the dishes. They're wet and they're gross and I got too much homework. Uh, you know what? Um, uh, that's fine as long as you promise to do them tomorrow. Cool. Now, instead of later regretting that you gave in to avoid this conflict, you can practice a firmer response asking for a do-over like this. Hold up, Lynn. Hold on. I, 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 uh, I want to do that again because I've been letting you off the hook for this and it's not teaching you to be responsible, hon, so I do want you to do this. You, wait a minute. That's not fair. You said you'd do it for me. Uh, you're right. I did. And so tonight, I will let you sweep the floors instead and I'll do the dishes. Or you can do the dishes and I'll even give you a little hand to get started. <sighs> All right. So that's one way this might go, but parents also can get pretty firm when their kids avoid their chores, and it might look something like this. I get it. The dishes are wet and gross, but you got to learn to get over it. Now get over here and do those dishes if you want any privileges tonight. <sighs> if I recognize that's not the parent I want to be, might look something like this. <sighs> Lynn, I'm sorry. That was not very respectful. I do want you to get to your chores. Uh, but I want to give you some choices about it because I've been pretty demanding lately. So do you want to do the dishes or do you want to sweep the floor right now? <sighs> yeah, I know it's a tough choice. I'll even be here to help you get started if you need it this time. All right, I'll do the dishes. Awesome. We worked it out. Let's keep getting better at this, okay? <laughs> <laughs> get the idea so uh i was just telling kristen that actually that's the conversation that's that's the conversation joy and i need to have uh, uh i don't want to do the dishes uh, so thankfully we have sassy at home and and sassy does the dishes so uh, <laughs> um anyway so uh thank you thank you for walking through that i know we didn't get a chance to actually interact in small groups and Pray over one another tonight, but but listen, really utilize. Like, ask you, don't don't leave those those sheets in your in in the chair. Take them with you. Consider utilizing that or, those orange sections, those lists again as ways to pray for one another, and and not just pray for each other. And it's in you know we know in church center there's a the bottom right hand there's three dots. You can click on that three dot. I think it's the bottom right. And there's a directory in there. And you can just go to the directory and pray. Use the directory to pray through, um, pray for one another. And, and to utilize that by way of like, because, because those, those toxic beliefs aren't just about parenting. Again, those toxic beliefs are, are just in our, in our hearts. Um, you know, varying, varying times during the week. So that we want to believe truth. Um, uh, about about who God says we are and uh, and being satisfied and content in that and being able to then care for one another uh, in a very gentle and, and gracious manner. So, Lord, would you uh, bless our night? Give us good rest tonight. Thanks for this content and and Lord, we know that we know that this is these are these are um, I mean they're more than scrapings, but they're 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 truths that we need to grow in. We that that your Spirit would help us understand and implement. 
uh, that which, which you would want us to participate in. Lord, help us to continue building this uh, foundation, this framework, specifically the foundation that we, we would be safe parents, safe adults, safe um, you know, siblings in the church, brothers and sisters, that this place would, would exude safety. Um, Lord, we are, we are safe in you. May, may, may there just be that sense here in culture of safety in this place. Go with us now, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.